KUT always puts you first, even during a public health crisis. The highest priority is to deliver accurate information to you and to this community. And it's listener support that makes this critical work possible. Give today at KUT.org. And thanks. I think we're going to take some questions, so make sure you just raise your hand and Jack will come to you. I have one quick question, though, okay. before we do. I'll so, try to give you a quick okay, answer. Quick. So, I can talk, I guess you can tell. Which huh? <laughs> is fantastic. I heard this, this interview. I was just checking to make sure I had the name right, but are you familiar with Saul Gordon? That name sounds familiar. So on the New York Public Library podcast, Saul Gordon is being interviewed by Anthony Bourdain. And if that's his, I'm almost 100% sure, but almost, that that's his name. And he was a PR guy for Alice Cooper and for a lot of these, you know, bands. And he, you know, made them famous and did kind of renegade PR. He was also the man responsible for getting Wolfgang Puck recognized and paid because he realized that all of these chefs were doing these events and not getting paid very much. And he was like, what is going on? And so he kind of gave them a PR facelift and created this celebrity sense of being around the chef. And so my question is kind of like, what's your take on looking at being relevant in this world, you know, the, the culinary world in Austin, and doing things that bands do, you know, and like kind of reinventing yourself and giving yourself this sense of like hipness or a renegadeness or like something that maybe feels like a little bit weird, but you would do to stay relevant within this landscape. What do you think about that? I think about, well, I think about reinventing and recreating all the time and every day and but how can I do it in subtle ways. Again, Nighthawk being um, this backdrop of what happened, you know, from seven restaurants to, to three very quickly and now to one left. And, you know, what are all the reasons why they were, they were the, you know, king of the hill for a long time, right? And what can I do to stay relevant at the same time? If I'm too weird, then I'm not true to myself, you know, because for me, you know, I describe my cooking style through the restaurant as honest, straightforward, as is our decor. We're not fancy, you know, and so it's it's kind of that fine line of keeping it real, which I want to do, being true to myself, which I want to do, and yet what wrinkles, you know, can I throw out there? So, I mean, you know, I can have fun with things from drinks like Bita Rita, right? So taking... Uh, taking a fresh beets, long story, that morphed into a uh, beet agua fresca to a beet frozen margarita, and and still have fun and creative things, you know, and get and get that enjoyment thing on, but still being true, you know, to myself and to the restaurant and what it represents. So I don't want to lose. And a lot of restaurants make mistake of too much of a makeover, and people. A lot of restaurants get caught up too much into the celebrity deal and. I tell people I, I'm just a working stiff, and I'm grateful for every day to be able to still be in the game, to still be working. Uh, but I don't want to stray too far, you know, because I don't know if I know how to, you know what I mean? And so I try to walk that fine line of incorporating new stuff and being relevant, but not getting too far out. There's no one good answer. That's kind of how I've chosen to, you know, the pathway to go. But I'm open. If you can hook me up with Alice Cooper. I'll hook you know, up uh, with Saul Gordon. <laughs> do that. He's pretty renegade, so you're going to have to sign on. To I'm cool stuff. with renegade. <laughs> um, how, I've got a wide embrace, you know. <laughs> how about we take a question, anyone? 
I was I was glad that you mentioned the trailer because I always thought that the best trailer was your veggie centric one. What happened to it? Bless you. <laughs> so the ultimate scorecard is a consumer, right? So you know I've had you know we opened up a restaurant in San Antonio two and a half years. We were at uh, Galleria Oaks 183. We tried the veggie-centric trailer and the barbecue trailer. I was in the Burning Road Farmer's Market for a year. So I've tried things. The ultimate scorecard is consumers and can you pay the bills. And all the, what has happened every time is nothing paid for itself. So eventually I ran out of money, had to put a tourniquet on it. So even decisions like doing the hybrid I talked about or, or trying different things, ultimately after all and said it's after all said and done, it's the marketplace, it's the scorecard that ultimately keeps you in business. You know, that's you know, if you can pay the bills, then you know, you can keep pushing forward. And we simply ran out of money. The other part was another a lady that I grew up in church with her kids and she uh, and her husband worked at IBM and they did a second job and they opened up a beauty salon that building is right next to the trailer they bought that property and she was waiting for that home run to sell out the whole property and she had one of the kids approach me and say I'm getting all these people asking me about renting the space for trailers but we wanted to see if you're interested first so she said you know, it was a win-win for me and her for that short time. I was able to pay her money to pay for her rising property taxes. And it turned out okay, because even after I had to put a tourniquet on it a few months later, she finally got that home run offer and sold it, sold it and she's enjoying life, enjoying the world. So that's the good side of the, the backside, a good story in the back backdrop of it. But thank you for the kind words. I had fun with that. That was really cool to go out there and have people like, you know, pick some lettuce and, you know, we'd fix something with. And, you know, we did a bunch of really cool things that with that southern twist. You talk about like uh, radical or what was the word you said? What was the word you used? Renegade. Renegade. Yeah. But, you know, just having fun with like old familiar things like black eyed peas and collard greens. That So one of the things we did for the veggie centric are, uh, you know, taking, uh, doing a Texas caviar, but doing a, a vegan marinated uh, black eyed pea and wrapping it in raw collard greens and that ended up being a big hit. So that had southern soul but yet, you know, healthy and new and so, you know, so I mean that that's probably as close to the renegade wall side, you know. That 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 in the beat that in the beat <laughs> Another question? Thank you. Except for the Nighthawk, which of the closed restaurants do you miss the most? Man, uh and, and the list runs so long I had to think for a sec you know things from uh you know like Tex-Mex funky places some of my childhood memories from the east side because they're childhood memories so they're they, they they're larger than life there was a little place on 11th street called southern dinette so I have a lot of early food memories of going there and getting that you know southern soul food uh and and those you know those early childhood memories interesting that you know I'm part of a uh, food waste Texas and I'm really proud of what Austin is doing uh, in the barbecue world uh, and, and all the names you guys know about. They're, they're world famous now. And, and I have a lot of love and respect for what they're doing. Interestingly, the little barbecue shacks and joints on the east side, again, those early memories, a lot of them, a couple of them were off of my family tree. Uh, there were the Howards and the Fowlers and all that. But you talked about community. So, you know, back in the day when I grew up on off of 12th Street, you know, I could walk to the 
to the little grocery store, Thompson Grocery on Chestnut, and you know order the you know the the meats, the cheeses, you know sliced and the whole bit, and we could walk to the little barbecue joints. We could walk to the movie theater, the Harlem Theater on 12th Street. And it was that community, that walking community, walked down to Rosewood Park. And there was kind of, you know, one of the, my world was walking and then bicycling. And then when I would go, you know, it was daring to take a bus, you know, to, to go, you know, to West Austin or, or beyond. But so those are probably near and dear to me because those are the childhood neighborhood memories, those sense of communities that really, you know, kind of ring. Other restaurants have closed, and I'm, I'm being brain-dead on them, but uh, there, there's so many ones that uh, that uh, I'm, I'm remembering the concepts. I can't think of the names. Everything from, you know, Italian to uh, Tex-Mex. Uh, uh, and and they, they, if they pop in my head before I get up, I'll, I'll, I'll throw them back at you. Another question? Well, hi. My name is Carl, and I, hey, Carl. I used to work at the UT Club here for five years for less than a living wage. So, you know, when you're talking about disparities, that, that really uh, gets to me. And it, it kind of seemed like when you were talking about, you know, the, the, the movement for a living wage, such as, you know, the fight for 15, you said it was like kind of ivory tower talking. I guess in that sense you were saying it's not very practical. But from some people's point of view, you know, pushing entrepreneurship uh, you know, we live in the capitalist world, and or in any kind of world, we we all we've always had workers. You know, so somebody might say, well, you know, you know, touting you know entrepreneurship, which Austin is known for, is that's not really going to deal with the disparity in the kitchen. You know, as you say, you know, some people never even make it from the back of the house to the front of the house. Because if you can't speak English, you're not going to be in the front <laughs> front house. If you right. can't read, you know. So I wonder, as a leader in the restaurant business, how are you going to find a a middle ground between you know what some what some people see as not practical and and and, and, and vice? Are you talking specifically about the fifteen dollar minimum movement? So here's the thing: if I pay my least productive worker fifteen you understand that I'm not gonna pay my best performer 15, right? So that, that, that would have to graduate him to 20, or whatever that may be. So for me, I'm not for equal pay for unequal work, but I am for raising the floor. So as I said earlier, uh, the hybrid that I have in mind is that, that I wanna do, let's see how that, you know, I wanna preach that, and, and stay tuned, because I, I obviously, Staying in business, like we talk about the trailer or anything else, ultimately the scorecard is what will you, the consumer, do and how will you respond? So if I charge $3 more for my meatloaf to work toward that inequity, will, will you walk the walk with me? So I want to represent going from talk to talk to walk to walk. And so I want to I want to not be isolated in intellectual conversation about it. I want to produce a working real world model or approach that to say this is what it looks like. People, are you willing to support it with your feet, with your pocketbook? If you help me walk the walk, that's the answer. That's how I do it. If I step out there and take a risk, because that's what entrepreneurs do. There's no guarantees. It may blow up in my face. Uh, I know some of the experiments with 
paying waiters and everybody else in a couple of places blew up and you know and you know some of the trade magazines like this guy tried this for six or eight months and his best servers left because they were making less than they were per hour because he did that equity thing so again for me it's not black and white it's not an either or it's about you know allow me you know the opportunity to work toward this hybrid of embedding some of it to raise the floor but it won't be everybody making the same but you know there'll be increments of you know you'll make you know proportionally more everybody will will make more and then that's that's my answer right now the real world is going to either slap me reject that or encourage me and allow me to go forward if i can produce a successful model that will speak for itself that's my idea of leadership not getting into a conference with folk that I disagree. Let me quietly try to make a difference, you know, by doing it and seeing how far I can push the envelope because that's what I want to do. And I think, again, I've been bugged by this since my Nighthawk days, and I've said that to people. I think that, and I do believe, and I call divine stirring of the pudding, that things come together when they should, and people in your life prepare you for what's next. So when I reflect in the mirror of all the things I've been through, including the Nighthawk experience, and very empathetic with those workers, I think this may be an opportunity for me to take that, to carry that forward, and to produce a new model that perhaps can influence, but it's gonna take folk uh, supporting it or not, and that's going to be the ultimate answer. So that's as best as I can do, you know, for now, take those baby steps forward. Yeah, I, I have a little follow-up question to that, which is you're on the, the um, National Restaurant Association, you're, you're on, you're president of the National Restaurant Association uh, in uh, Texas. The, no, the Austin. Of the Austin, Austin. yeah. Okay, so is there a conversation, because the thing is about the fight for 15 and raising the minimum wage, that would really benefit a lot of people who are working in restaurants that their owners, they probably never see. You know, it's not like the owner who comes into the restaurant and everyone's kind of, you know, shining their shoes for. These are people who are displaced, who are making money from a franchise organization. And, um, and so the level of inequality is so much more um, unequal, so much more vast than a local restaurateur who's trying to give his, you know, pay equal, um, f to make equal pay for his workers, you know, and to make things fair. So is there um, recognition of that within these discussions about how do you protect local restaurant entrepreneurs in that situation where you are taking a hit by raising the minimum wage, but you really want to do it to make things fair for your organization versus people who really don't have that much to lose by raising the minimum wage for their workers in their restaurants. Now, and then let me be clear, by no means am I advocating or, or supporting the corporate greed that makes me sick to death because you know when you're a publicly traded company, you're master you know, you become a slave to the shareholders that want to return on their investment and all that. So <clears throat> I'm coming from a different place, from small business entrepreneurship, and, and, and by no means can I defend or does that model of corporate franchisee stuff make sense? So I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to back away, and, and, and so I'm not, I'm not embracing it coming from, you know, their perspective and, and how they make, you know, how they, you know, make their money or not, because you see the hierarchy of, top heavy salaries and again there's the shareholders and then there's these people in the 
corporate offices and the whole bit. So I, for me, I'm excusing myself from defending them because by no means do I feel like I'm in the same pod. I'm really coming from small business, mom and pop survival, uh, being a part of the community versus, as you as you were pointing out, being uh, you know being you know this remote slave master that all he cares and and, I, and 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 one reason why I became an entrepreneur, by the way, was a process of elimination, not wanting to go to the corporate world, rejecting that and being disgusted by corporate greed. That was my motivation to say, let me create my own space and how can I make my little piece of the world a better space because I have rejected that corporate world, that corporate greed. And, 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 and I, I don't diss my friends that chose that and they're comfortable now. A lot of them are retired or fixing to because they got the benefits, but I chose to not take that easy way, way out. I, I have had opportunities to be a lot richer, by the way, uh, by stepping on people's backs and necks, but I refuse to because I want to wake up and feel good about myself in the morning. So I'm coming from a completely different place and mindset than those folks. So they're not part of my restaurant family, you know, in that, in that regard. I mean, we, we share this thing, this umbrella called National Restaurant Association, and they're restaurant operators, but that they're not my people, <laughs> you know what I mean? But is, uh, is, there, is there a conversation there about how to protect you within, because it's a huge, huge organization. Right. And like, where, how can you gain some, like, at least support? The, the unintended consequence of some heavy stick uh, agencies, be it federal, state, local, it affects folk like me. And so part of what I try to do and with our local group is advocate for the small businesses as opposed to like the corporate, you know, franchise folk. And I'm talking about more of the local involvement and then to a lesser degree for me as I'm on the state board representing Austin. And then those dynamics are incredibly different because you got folk from rural communities that have different values by far. And I, I still sit in some of these political action committees quietly trying to figure out, as I said before, what common ground do we have for these solutions? And I don't have an answer. So, but, but one size doesn't fit all. And that's, that's what bothers me. If the conversation about 15 an hour, I understand who your target is, but folk don't understand the, how it affects the, the majority of employers aren't those folk. They're these folk, you know what I mean? And so the answers, the quick solutions are so quick to say, we're doing this for those bad people, those big, but, but, I, but I'm concerned about being able to have a personal local identity and being able to survive. And Hoover, isn't it that the majority of the restaurant owners are probably in your position, but the majority of employees in restaurants, I'm guessing, work for these big companies with fatter, not, they, they don't necessarily have fat profit margins, but they have fat profits. It all adds up to fat they profits. They do, it, and also keep in mind, yeah. those that can even participate in these organizations, be it NRA, they've obviously got the money. So even the local chapter, we're just a handful of restaurants, and, you know, and I try to be a voice for the voiceless of a couple of thousand people, you know, to a degree as best I can, right? But those that are struggling like me, it's tough for me to get to pull away from my business, to make time, to spend money, to try to represent, you know, this this organization, right? So it's these other folks, so these other restaurateurs, they they're not organized, they're not involved. 
but they're the ones that will be affected. That's what's so interesting. That's the point to try to make when we get into our black and white thinking. We're looking at the big enemy, the big corporate en- enemy in, in the NRA, you know, and they've got a big target, and they should. But what I'm telling you is there's, it was the silent majority of folk that don't belong to these groups but will be affected by the conversations if there's not any equity, you know, and again, it's not black and white, and, and we make the mistake is really a, is what I'm saying. Uh, one more question? What was your major in college is the question. I tell people I majored in electives. <laughs> I, <laughs> I was here eight years. I was all over the place. I was enrolled in the School of Communication, but I couldn't make up my mind on what I wanted to do. So I took everything from like nine or 12 hours of Bible study. I was accepted to plan two, but never did. I took business. I took Swahili. Uh, uh, at one and and uh, one of the one of the uh, uh, you know professors that really just kind of just kind of like ring your bell. I was so impressed with my Psych 301 professor, Dev Singh. I still remember his name after all these years, and he was so intriguing, so enamoring. I thought, man, you know, maybe I want to get a degree in psychology. So you know, I took a couple of those classes there. It was a business. So ultimately, after all was said and done, I had the great classical liberal. Education, I dabbled in about every, every department here, you know, on, on the 40 acres here. So that's what's so ironic about uh, doing what I do now because uh, it was a process of elimination, like, nah, I don't want to do this. And, you know, I took some business classes and I thought, okay, uh, you know, it was, I had this cool, you know, uh, CPA guy do a talk about, you know, if you get your degree in, in the business school and the CPA, then you can learn all these different businesses and all that. And, you know, I just, I just kept looking at not being an eight to five guy, not being in that box, not wanting to do that office gig, not want to, you know, be lost in a corporate big world. And so I, I just eventually just like kept eliminating things. And, and finally, uh, at the end of my Nighthawk tenure, a buddy of mine that he and I worked together at Steak and Ale. Steak and Ale gave me the opportunity to wait tables, I alluded to. And uh, I introduced him to, I don't know if you remember Anna Reynolds. She worked with us at Nighthawk, but they dated. They went to, to New Orleans for Super Bowl. He's a great idea guy. He came back with doing a New Orleans-themed restaurant on 6th Street. We had a New Orleans bar restaurant called Toulouse back in the day. And he convinced me to, uh, he was four years ahead of me, by the way. He grew up on the east side, you know, somewhere. And he was at Austin High before I got there. He was at UT before I got here. And, uh, but he, he, he finally kind of nudged me to kind of being a part of that entrepreneur, you know, thing. And so, you know, that divine stirring for me was like, I guess this is my parallel training. I actually have some skills. Never thought I'd put them to use and realized after the fact, like, oh, so I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur before I knew I wanted to be a restaurateur, by the way. So I, try, I was trying to figure out what do I want to do with myself. I don't want to do corporate, so I'm eliminating all this other stuff, right? And then when it dawned on me, like, oh, I've got some skills that can be the vehicle for me to be an entrepreneur, it's kind of when the light bulb went off to kind of pursue uh, what I've been doing these last few years. So yeah, so I'm all about uh, just that, that whole, li- you know, that whole liberal education deal. Learn as much as you can, be a student, you know, be, have thirst for knowledge and learning to the day 
you're not here anymore. Yeah. Well, that's one thing that's under attack here at a university. So to have a, an advocate for liberal arts education is fantastic. <laughs> and, 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 and I think also, like even in the schools now, so one of the things that I'm really digging and loving through the Restaurant Association is a, a program called Pro Start in the high schools now. Because one thing that we, again, one size does not fit all. Everyone is not destined to go to college. Uh, and we, we have abandoned so many of our kids in our public school system because they're not on track to come to a college, right? And there's these incredible skills that our society needs that we've just kind of dismissed. And hopefully, again, you know, we can, you know, and we're rethinking that, you know, in our, I think, our foolishness over the years where there's a friend of mine that's is, is doing some incredible things with kids and getting them real excited about, about media and doing internships with them with like local advertising agencies teaching them real world uh, skills that they can go out and make a decent living. So I think that education conversations need, it's too late by the time folks get here and I think we make that mistake as far as equality in my mind. I think it needs to start earlier from elementary school, you know, to get people excited and, and, and not dumb them down and, and, and keep them uh, interested and excited and stimulated and, and creative so we can just kind of spawn a new generation of creative, you know, skilled folk. Again, one size doesn't fit all. And so, so I want to be able to, again, even use a restaurant association platform to kind of help nurture that creativity. Of, and not just cooking, by the way, because these kids are getting taught uh, business skills and other things as well. So that's kind of part of where my passion is. Well, it's so great to hear kids here this evening for this wonderful conversation. And I would just like to say thank you so much for coming out tonight because this was really fantastic. Thank you. I am so... Uh, I'm in high cotton. I'm honored and I'm very grateful and to hang with my boy Tommy up in here and uh, relive some great memories. Uh, I'm glad to be with you guys, so thank you. I appreciate being here. Also, thank you everyone for coming out tonight. Our next Views and Bruises next Monday night at 6 o'clock. It's in partnership with the Annette Strauss Institute for Civic Life. And Dr. Art Markman and Dr. Bob Duke of Two Guys on Your Head will be talking about civic engagement, the psychology of civic engagement, so please come out for that. Other than that, have a wonderful evening. Once again, thank you, Hoover. Thank you, Raj and Tom, for being fantastic hosts, and have a good night. Thank you. You've been listening to A Views and Brews, recorded live at the Cactus Cafe in Austin, Texas, for KUT Radio. You'll find a complete archive of all of our Views and Brews in the iTunes store, or go to KUT.org for more information. Thanks for listening. During challenging times, you count on KUT to deliver the accurate and essential news and information you need. Show your support today for the service you rely on every day with a gift in any amount at KUT.org. Thank you.